Hello there and welcome to the Student Pages podcast with your host me, Grace Sanders. Hello again, lovely to see you. Today I am joined by the lovely Luke Romrick, who is the VP of Marketing and Partnerships at The Thirst Project. How are you doing today, Luke? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing as well? I'm doing wonderful. Well, thank you for asking. Obviously, I'm aware that you are all the way over in, uh, I, I, want, I really want to say sunny California. Are yes. we sunny? <laughs> we, just, we just became sunny. It's been rainy for the last two days. So, um, yep, sunny California, just getting our day started here. We must have had a little bit of a swap around because obviously England is back to its drab dreary ways by now. <laughs> okay, so I, I guess I better start off by asking you uh, what everybody wants to know. What is The Thirst Project? So The Thirst Project is a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles, California, that exists to end the global water crisis. And the fact that over 700 million people on our planet today still don't have basic access to safe, clean drinking water. And so we work with thousands and hundreds of thousands of young people across the world to raise awareness as well as funds, 100% of which we commit to ending the global water crisis. And in the last decade, Thirst Project has been able to build over 3,000 water projects in 13 different countries, giving over 500,000 people access to clean water for life. Sounds great. I, obviously, you mentioned that this is geared towards young adults and young people. I'm aware that your your very founder actually started this when he was 19, you mentioned over a decade ago. Is there a specific reason why you've actually uh, targeted the younger market, the students uh, of the world? Yeah, that's actually a part of our origin in general. And so when Seth at 19 found out about the global water crisis, there were around 1.2 billion people on our planet who didn't have safe, clean drinking water. And he was, uh, he'll say it himself, a self-centered teen in Los Angeles, just trying to make his way and uh, gathered together his closest friends and took to Hollywood Boulevard with cases of water to pass out and just say, did you know? And at that time, they didn't think they did too much, raised a couple thousand dollars, gave it to a local charity and thought that was it. But two people they met on the street that day said, come to my high school, come to my classroom, I'm a teacher, speak to my students about this issue and let's see what we can do. They went and did the thing, called themselves the Thirst Project Club and uh, didn't think too much of it. But about two months later, checks showed up in the mail for $2,000 or $12,000 each made out to the Thirst Project, which we didn't even have a bank account to be able to cash. And so that is when we really found the untapped potential in encouraging and activating young people because a lot of different organizations or even companies don't really see the potential buying power or spending power in young people that you can kind of build off with competition and making the world a better place. And so that's even how I got involved. Seth spoke at my high school when I was 17 years old and I found out about the global water crisis, rocked my world and uh, I've been a part of it since. You give it such like a rock star element to it. I think that that's definitely like the American of it and the whole LA. Uh, I think you mentioned that Seth was a self-centered teenager. I'm 21 and I'm still a self-centered teenager. (laughs) That's all right. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> so th- this caught you at school when you were when you were 17 and now you're the vice president of marketing and partnerships. Is there anything that drew you specifically to the role other than the encapsulating Seth himself? Yeah, Seth, uh, I think, can account for almost 80 to 90 percent of people being a, a part of our organization. And if you ever hear him speak or get to meet him, you'll know exactly why. Um, he just has a radiance and an undying passion for making the world a better place, which you just want to be a part of. And for me to fall into marketing and partnership specifically, I think this is one of my favorite tools that every organization has at their disposal. So you could be in operations, you could be in fundraising, you could be in education and kind of internal HR stuff. But to me, marketing is the most
most unique tool because you get to create the world that you want to live in and bring and invite people into that world um, through different partnerships as well. And so, yeah, I think it's the most exciting part of uh, the amazing work that we get to do is being in marketing and uh, why I love it. So obviously you mentioned marketing is a passion of yours. What, what, how have you actually changed the trajectory to attract younger people to the charitable sector and charity itself? I think for us, we've been able to go to where people are instead of constantly begging them to come to where we're at. And so, for example, uh, with the YouTube wave of the mid 2010s, instead of trying to create our own YouTube channel and be huge and bring everybody there, we just started partnering with every popular YouTuber around and trying to grow with them in that sense and in partnership. And so for us, we've been able to now even pivot to TikTok and different social media styles. We rode the Instagram wave. We did that. And a lot of charities don't typically dip their feet into the social space or the digital space until there's a very clear proven reason why. And our reason why is that's where the young people we want to work with are at. And so um, I think from that standpoint, that's been the most exciting thing. And then being able to bring in so many different either influencers or brands from different industries, we can make a, a reason or a plea to anybody to make the world a better place. We just got to tailor it a unique way as to why water matters to everyone. I get that. You, meant, you mentioned TikTok there and I still think I am one of the elderly people that hasn't actually downloaded the app itself yet and I'm sending my housemates Instagram reels <laughs> which obviously they'll send me back and they'll be like I saw this four months ago so <laughs> <laughs> one of them I actually myself set up a charity with a couple of my friends at university um, and I do think it, it's such a good thing to get involved at when when you are a student um, not only because I think everyone thinks oh this would look great on a CV you need to branch out and make yourself more aware of the issues at hand and become more of a well-rounded person I've just seen there um, the first TikTok today which obviously kind of links it all back nicely so you mentioned that you, you've been there since you were 17 how, how long how long has this been if you don't mind revealing your age yeah, this is uh, this May is going to be the start of year 10 for me. So it'll be a decade almost in a number of different roles from interns when my very first summer uh, had to beg him to give me an unpaid internship where I left uh, my university in Ohio to come out for the summer um, to sunny California and enjoy it. And then, yeah, a number of different roles. I started in fundraising and business development because it was the only spot open on the team when I had graduated and then worked my way nicely into this role and have can kind of continue to grow on the executive team as well. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's been from top to bottom. I've been a part of almost every uh, every journey of the organization, and uh, I'll also get to manage water projects as well. So in El Salvador, I oversee the team that we have locally there building projects. And then pre-COVID, we used to take trips into the field either with donors or production crews to capture content. Um, and I would lead those trips to both South Africa as well as El Salvador, which just yeah, every every day is a new challenge and a new journey. But uh, yeah, it's all really exciting. You seem to achieve so much in this decade and packs like so much in you obviously the first project as well as work with so many like high profile celebrities and some so many incredible campaigns what would you say is, is the highlight out of all this time if you've got to pick one or two okay if i had to pick one or two i'll pick two and i'll <laughs> I'll say from a, a campaign standpoint, um, and they actually happened within months of each other, which is uh, crazy enough. In, in late 2019, the very first thing we did was host our annual gala. So we have a charity fundraising gala at the Beverly Hilton, which is the same stage as the Golden Globes and the Emmys. And that's where we bring together all of our biggest corporate partners, celebrity sponsors, and donors to celebrate the year of work and raise money, 100% of which goes to building clean water projects. And so that was the year we 
were able to have Adam Sandler come and present an award uh, as well. Uh, and we raised over $400,000 for the very first time. And so that was a, it's kind of like a all comes together moment, uh, having run that event for six, seven years prior. Um, and then to really see how big it got and can be uh, was just, yeah, a, a magical moment. And then through that event, we met uh, Jonathan Bennett, who was uh, Aaron Samuels from Mean Girls, if you remember. And no he way. was like, hey, we should do something for Mean Girls Day, which was a few days later. And uh, in 36 hours, we got almost all of the cast, except for Rachel McAdams, to give us content that kind of read through a PSA where we were playing that Katie, Lindsay Lohan, uh, who was from Uganda, was going to fundraise for a well in Uganda and had the whole cast do Mean Girls Do Good. Um, and we not only put together the campaign in 36 hours, but within a week raised uh, enough to fund a well, but through 800 plus donors. And so um, to have that many people come together and gain as much press and attention as the traditional gala would, um, just through one kind of quick partnership that that came together in the ninth hour. Um, I remember Jonathan texted me, said, it's it's almost Mean Girls Day. Lindsay needed the video. And uh, it was just kind of, it, it culminates with that nonprofit mindset of just at any cost, put it all together, zero budget, um, all of those things. And uh, yeah, it was really a, a meaningful campaign for us. So I would say two of those are, are my favorite highlights for those reasons. So I'd say with putting Adam Sandler's and the Mean Girls cast together, you have quite the monopoly on like mid to late 2000s comedy films. Absolutely. And then you add in The Office and a few YouTubers and you just you've got all of the 2010s uh, locked <laughs> up pretty much. <laughs> so if you could have one or let's say like a, a group, a cast of celebrities to do a campaign, what is your ideal campaign for the Thirst Project? And I appreciate this is a big question. So please do take some time <laughs> to think if you need to. Yeah, give me just one second here. I think I think for me right now that the the best kind of angle that we could get is if we were to able pull off something with either like the cast of Succession or the cast of Euphoria. Um, those two from different angles and different audiences, I think make up uh, a very large group of people that we might not necessarily have a hundred percent connection with yet. And so um, both from an awareness standpoint of what they could drive in terms of letting people know about the water crisis, but then most likely also in impacting the water crisis would be two of the largest uh, groups and angles we could kind of run at right now. So having this tenure in the Thirst Project and in the charitable sector, if, there, if there's anybody listening out there who has uh, got an idea to set up a charity or got an idea of how a charity at their university or maybe their hometown can grow. What are the top tips that you would give them? Yeah, I think, uh, and it might sound counterintuitive, but one of the most important things that we always uh, tell people that come to us along their uh, nonprofit journey, because most nonprofits, I think over, almost 90% of them don't even make it past uh, year five um, or even raise a million dollars. And so that's, and that's large part due to the large volume of charities that get created every year. And so what we always tell people is do really, really exhaustive research on that issue and any other potential org or thing already trying to do it. Because a lot of the times people just want to create an org to create an org, when in reality to best impact that problem, you can join an already existing force or structure and just improve it and scale it rather than try and corner your support just for one specific thing or issue. And so I think that's always the biggest thing is uh, always, always do your research and see what is or what isn't out there. Because if you're not the first 
or you're not the best, you often get stuck somewhere in the middle um, in trying to compete with things that have been around for 20 to 30 years or even just new technologies emerging and things like that. And then the second thing I would suggest is surround yourself with people that are good at things you are not. Um, I think the most common misconception in being a leader or even running an organization is that you have to be good at everything and you have to have all the answers. That is not actually the case. If you have to know what you're not good at and bring people in to be able to do that. And so then you're hitting on all cylinders with everything, not just running at 20, 30% in the things you're not good at and only doubling down on the things you are good at. So I would say those are our two biggest tips uh, in, in terms of getting started. And, and yeah, I think the passion is always just a non-negotiable. You got to have passion. And if you're not passionate about it, um, yeah, just keep keep waiting until that thing that gets your heart ticking and, and uh, mind racing. I, lo I love how the way you talk about passion, obviously your passion for charity and marketing. Uh, when I was at... Um, my university, we, we, I founded my own charity with a, a couple of my friends there, was based around uh, food poverty in the UK. I don't know if you're familiar, as there was uh, uh, Marcus Rashford speaking about how food poverty affects people in the north, actually where I'm from, funnily enough. But I was actually the social media and marketing manager for there, and I was literally just copying and pasting images of a white background because I had no clue what was going on. So I do think passion is incredibly important because I was definitely passionate about charity but I had no idea what was going on with marketing. <laughs> so to have the synergy there. So let's say if a, a student or a young person out there wanted to get involved in the Thirst Project, for example, how would they go about, well, signing up to help? A, we always just encourage people to follow along. So even if you don't know what you want to do, we're constantly sharing different activations or campaigns that we're running, different things that students across the world are already doing, as well as, yeah, trying to create new experiences through events and, and stuff like that. Um, but we have a team dedicated at Thirst Project to actually helping students students put together any type of thing that they want. So whether that's starting a club or a chapter, even if they're not in school anymore. So starting like a chapter in their local area, um, we've got tools and resources to be able to do that. If they want to set up a fundraiser, we've got an online fundraising platform where you can kind of create as big or as little of a fundraising campaign that you want and encourage people to give online. And then I think the most important thing that we, we try to explain to people is that you have everything that you need to be able to make a difference right now. And like I say, you might not be able to make the impact that you think you want to make, but even just telling someone about the global water crisis is making a difference. If you are introducing this issue to someone who's never heard of it before, you don't even know the, the possibilities of what that individual can do or who that individual is going to be able to get in touch with to make that difference. And so I think from that standpoint, if you've already got a great idea, we've got a team ready to help bring it to life. And if you don't, um, just starting to talk about it and be someone that cares is, is the most important first step. Mm -hmm. I think building that network of care is so important. And obviously ex expansion is on the forefront of your mind uh, on a daily basis. So Obviously, the Thirst Project, in, in charitable terms, is relatively new, uh, still branching out there. Uh, you're starting to become more of an international entity. So uh, in, in terms of expansion, in terms of growth, what would you personally and the, the charity want to achieve in the next 10, 20 years? Obviously, apart from clean water for all. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think, but even within clean water for all, one tangible goal that we're really working towards and can see a way through is ending the global water crisis in the kingdom of Eswatini. So 
For those of you who don't know, it was formerly named Swaziland, and it is a small landlocked country in between Mozambique and South Africa with about 1.2 million people um, residing there. And because it is so small, this is something, and 27% of the nation still lacks access to clean water. It's something that within the next 10 years, we really expect and hope to accomplish, um, giving that entire nation access to clean water and using that as a case study to really drive clean water across the globe internationally. Um, so that would be a huge goal of ours. And then additionally, we just like to stay in touch and in tune with that next generation. So right now it's all Gen Z um, being a part of that, learning TikTok, joining all of those different things. Yep, everything that every marketing director is kind of going through right now um, and always trying to stay relevant in those areas. And so, yeah, it means bringing in like the cast of Euphoria and doing different campaigns or bringing in large TikTokers or even new brands that uh, young people love um, and finding a way to help those brands make a difference on the global water crisis. Because really without partnership, we're not gonna be able to just through $25 donations end this water crisis that way. It's gonna take really a collective effort of large communities coming together and saying enough is enough. We're gonna provide this very basic right and uh, then go from there. And in terms of in terms of that global cooperation and that togetherness, I believe it was most recently World Water Day, which will be a, a focal point for you guys over at the Thirst Project. Was there any campaigns that you had going then? Yeah, so for this year for World Water Day, we were finally able to stop hosting virtual events. So for the last two years, um, whether it was our gala, our annual student leadership conference or World Water Day, we'd had virtual events um, nonstop. So for this year, we encouraged everyone to host a walk in their local community. And so we hosted a walk for water in Los Angeles, California, um, with one of our partners, Selfless by Hiram, and their skincare company. And then we co-hosted a walk on their home turf in London um, two days later. And so between the LA walk and the London walk that we kind of co-hosted together and about 40 different student walks, whether it was Portugal, Norway, different parts of the states all collectively came together um, to raise awareness about the global water crisis, as well as funds to end it. And so we were really stoked um, to take our first international event that we were able to co-host, come over to London, celebrate World Water Day, uh, walk around Trafalgar Square, Covent Gardens, do the whole thing. And uh, yeah, really just build a presence in other communities outside of Los Angeles. And so um, we've got quite a few partners popping up in, in the London area, in the greater UK area, which uh, we're really excited to build off of and hopefully make an annual kind of tradition that whether it's me or anyone, Thirst Project will always be popping up in London around World Water Day um, and then hopefully throughout the year through other activations and events. Do you have any more plans to expand into the UK and start working alongside universities and schools here? That is a long-term plan for us, for sure. We're trying to build the presence from a charity standpoint first, and then be able to bring our programs uh, that really allow students to be able to take action and replicate them over in the UK. The biggest student section that we have internationally right now is actually Portugal. I think they've got about 40 members in their club, and they always raise at least a well, if not two wells, um, every single year, which is uh, really just the, the top, top student performers for us. And so... Um, slowly but surely, we're, we're, we're trying to expand the student programs internationally, and then 100%, we have full control over how much, how many influencers or how many brands we're able to align with, um, which really makes the student side of things a lot easier when we can have that support from companies who already have a really significant presence in these areas. That's how, that sounds so fantastic to get so many people involved and have this like ultimate goal of this community. 
Uh, unfortunately, it's reached the part of the podcast now where I have to show you the uh, embarrassing amount of research that I went into <laughs> before this. And I noticed that on your wonderfully crafted website at The Thirst Project, you have some fun facts, uh, one of which was the fact that at one point you had 11 living grandparents. I need to know... What? <laughs> How do you have that many? Stop this, hogging them all. <laughs> <laughs> this one's everyone's favorite question. And so um, my dad was actually adopted and his adoptive grandparents each got divorced and remarried five times. And then you had the two grandparents on my mother's side. So at one point I had 14. I just was not alive yet. And so when I was born, uh, I had 11 living grandparents and we're down to three now. But it's uh, life happens. And it was uh, I didn't realize that that was not normal until high school. Uh, I thought everyone just had a bunch of grandparents and the holidays were a sprint. Every, it was more of a business trip now that I look back on it. It was just 30 minutes here, two hours there, all, all over the place. And uh, yeah, I was blessed to have a ton of family um, and most of them not even really related to me technically um, by blood, but uh, that were able to yeah help show me the world and prepare me for the journey that I'm on right now. Would, that, would you say that that was an inspiration to you? As I think the only thing that I would have gained from my grandparents is probably weight. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say everyone brought in a, in a different perspective uh, that I probably would have never gotten from just the two traditional grandparent approach. Um, and then because there was so much uh, drama, if you will, between divorce and things like that each party had their own like here's what we're going to do to help Luke in this direction which was not necessarily what this group over here was going to do so yeah I feel uh, uh old for my age what, what do people always say I'm an old soul yeah so I would say uh, because I had so many grandparents growing up uh, I'm a bit more of an old soul than the average uh, the average person it's great to have that much like sponsorship and support though, especially when you're early. And I think that's what in essence the first project is trying to emulate with that connection there. And I've also got to ask, uh, have, have you given a TED talk in your life? Yes. That is uh, incredible. <laughs> I was able to give a TED talk my sophomore year of university uh, with my roommate at the time. Um, we did a joint TED talk uh, one day after class. We were just discussing one of the communication theories we had, which was about social capital. And uh, it had only four court categories. And we kind of invented a fifth um, to kind of break the mold of what that was. And it was really centered around how pride either holds you back or build you up from being the best person you can kind of be and trying to relate with real life examples of individuals who are either maybe a bit too apathetic and lack that pride or maybe a bit too egotistical and have too much pride um, and then kind of compare them to, if you will, the Oprah Winfrey's or the Bill Gates of the world um, that whether they came from a really rich environment or from a really underserved environment used everything that they had to the best of their ability and pride perfectly to make the world a better place. So, yeah. I feel like um, we need another interview <laughs> just to address that because that is incredible. It's <laughs> the first thing I'm going to do. Well, the second thing I'm going to do after going and talking more about the first project to people, the, the second thing I'm going to do is going to go and watch that TED talk. That sounds fantastic. I'm aware that we're just coming up on uh, time now, so I I'd like to pass the, uh, the, pass the stage over to you to have a, a final mention about this project, how people uh, primarily in the UK, but obviously worldwide can actually get involved. Uh, you have a, a glorious website and many multiple social media facets, so if you can just kind of name drop in there, that'd be fantastic. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think just to kind of sum everything up, what we talked about is, again, when Seth, our founder and CEO started, it was around 1.2 billion people that don't have access to clean water. And today, even after the global population has risen, uh, there's 500 million more people who have gained access to safe, clean drinking water. And so I think the most exciting thing for me is that I'm working to put myself out of a job. And it very clearly sees the end of, of the water crisis in our time. And so if you'd like to take action, you can find us uh, online at thirstproject.org or any social media just at thirst project that's thirsty without the y project and for those of you in the uk if you purchase select products from the inky list which is uh, they co-own uh, selfless by Hiram, as well as any cans of hard seltzer by bodega bay um, at your local pubs or morrison's you will be donating to the water crisis just through your purchase and uh I, $25, which I believe is just under 25 pounds or 20 pounds now gives one person access to clean water for life. And so it's that simple. It's not 25 a month, 20 every year. It's one time gives someone access to clean water for the rest of their lives. And um, yeah, we're, we're really thankful for you guys even uh, reaching out to us and getting to share our story a little bit more. And I uh, hope this is uh, one of many conversations we get to have in the future. Of course, it's been an absolute pleasure, Luke. Thank you ever so much for coming and joining me today.